0: Woo! Welcome back to Queer Dust Stories. This is Moon, and I hope you're doing well out there in this brave new year. This conversation was one I've been looking forward to sharing with you because it's on our minds, and I think particularly here in the U.S. because of the stigma that encircles the word abortion. So what is an abortion doula, or who is an abortion doula? I was thrilled when Sarah reached out to me, and since then I've learned that she's many things. She's a healthcare worker, an artist, a mother of two, and an abortion doula, as well as a pregnancy loss doula. And in this conversation, we didn't talk so much about pregnancy loss because I feel like we're really familiarized, particularly in our death community. with pregnancy loss, midwives and doulas, and yeah, how heartbreaking and isolating, um, unimaginable pain. But the reason I wanted to focus on the abortion doula piece is because right now in our country, in case for some reason you're not aware of this, we're really fighting once again for our autonomy. And safety to have these choices and one of the things that I love that Sarah points out in this conversation is that if you make the choice to have an abortion you are making the choice as a responsible parent even though this is not necessarily a baby right we understand that right it's not a baby but you're making a choice that's based on a potential baby's future and for your body for your mental health and for all those things. And it's very difficult. And I just want to say that I was grateful to be able to talk about my own experience with my abortion from almost 20 years ago, because I would have loved to have had an advocate like Sarah beside me. I think most of us would, especially when we're going through tremendous grief, isolation, terrifying situations. And So that's why this work is really important, and I really believe in it. But if you feel triggered by the conversation, by all means, please take good care of yourself. And, you know, don't listen right now. And that's okay, too. I had to edit this conversation a little bit because we had some surprise guests when we were talking. Um, Sarah's two kids were amazing, wanted to jump on and tell me about a raccoon that they found and a funeral that they had for the raccoon. Letting me know, you know, in their way that their mom is doing such an amazing job with including them in this conversation about life death cycle. And another thing that she said, I think that I unfortunately had to edit out because I wanted to give the kids um, privacy um, was that when she was a kid, her grandparents had pictures of their tombstones (laughs) on their fridge just so they could have conversations about, you know, one day that they would die and this is where you would find them. So I think that all of these things kind of make Sarah the fierce and powerful person that she is. And that's why I'm excited to share this conversation with you finally. So thanks so much for listening. And I will be back after the episode.
1: So my own abortion was about uh, eight years ago, and um, overall, very positive experience. However, a terribly lonely experience, right, right. Um, just because you know of all the stigma surrounding it. I, I most people, because conversations are so taboo surrounding abortion um, and even pregnancy loss. There's no like middle ground, there's no community. You know, you have to take what's on the news Mm -hmm. or out front of, you know, Planned Parenthood Mm -hmm. and it's either you're gonna burn in hell Mm
0: -hmm. or,
1: you know, you're just a, you know, a baby killer, right? right? There's no in between. There's, you know, two polar narratives to choose from and nobody falls into those, you know, there's a tiny percent on one side and a tiny percent on the other and everybody else is somewhere in the middle. And so you're cast out and you don't know where you fit and you can't talk about it. Um, And so I just remember that experience of feeling so alone after, you know, a fairly profound experience. Um, Just, I mean, God, it was, it was you know, I was suicidal for a while, not because of the abortion, but because of the loneliness associated Mm -hmm. with it. Um, and I just knew that I wanted to create a shift in that culture. Um, doing so on a broad scale, obviously was just felt completely out of reach. Um, but Facebook one day showed me that, um, my Planned Parenthood Was starting a doula program and they were taking applications. I'm like, well, that's exactly what I want to do. Right. Um, And it has been one of the most fulfilling things that I have ever done in my entire life.
0: That's amazing. I didn't, I'm not aware of that um, program with Planned Parenthood, but um, thank you for sharing that, you know, story with me. I also want to say that um, one of the reasons I was excited to talk to you is because I think um, what you're saying about loneliness is um, exactly like why I believe in advocacy in general, whether it's around death or adoption or, um, you know, in this case, abortion or um, domestic violence, because, you know, Life has taught me too. The worst experience is just to be on your own in these like really difficult situations. And like you, I I had an abortion when I was you know it was a while ago in my twenties. And it wasn't that terrible of an experience, but I was on I was pretty much on my own, and um, didn't really have anyone to really talk to about it. and also like the i guess what i wasn't really prepared for um was the amount of grieving that our body naturally does yes um, yeah be it abortion or i guess miscarriage or um nobody really tells you that <laughs> like they have that i think they have a room kind of designated for that i remember people sitting in there drinking juice and things but um i was i was pretty dissociated honestly. Oh, I straight
1: up dissociated during mine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I,
1: I, it's, it's not something because you can't talk to anybody out before or after, or at least certainly felt like that, you know, with mine, I'm sure with yours, it felt like that too. And yeah, you can't even
0: talk to yourself after a while, you know, you just check yeah. out. And like, for me, the guilt and shame was really just because I think, um, I think I was recovering from trauma well, I mean, I know I was. And so that sort of led towards like situational mental illness. Mm-hmm. And um and I already had my son. So it wasn't like, you know, that was gonna gonna be the obvious choice for me to have an abortion. But it was the yeah. right choice choice for me at the time. Mm-hmm. Um so mm-hmm. how do like with like the current climate in our country Mm. like are people finding you um, more or is it kind of the same
1: (laughs) you know so i just transitioned um out of Planned Parenthood very recently Hmm. what one of the things that um that i always kind of longed for I mean it's a complete privilege to do the dual position with plant parent, and you know if things my life changes and I have more time I'll do both but we're there with them for you know an hour two hours maybe three hours if it's a slow day but then they leave and that's when they're really cast back out you know into maybe a place of no support but like you said your body is still grieving and you're it's a complicated decision for, you know, most people, even if they know exactly what they want, it's still complex. Right. And there's a lot of, you know, like you said, trauma and there's stuff that you don't know what's going to trigger you until you get there. And then who are you going to talk to about that? Right. You know, your, your, your mom that, is, you know, going to disown you or tell you you're going to burn in hell, or, <laughs> or, you know, you've got another friend maybe that's like, oh, I don't understand why, you know, you're even having a hard time. It's not even a life, you know, it wasn't even a baby. Like neither of those things are helpful. <laughs> right. Right. Um, maybe for the individuals, but not, you know, for someone actually going through, it's not safe. And so I just wanted to be able to follow them out the door, you know, and help them on the other side for the days to years. Um, Also, you know, it was really just our surgical patients that we were supporting for the most part. I've supported several friends through their own, you know, medical abortion at home, but that's an entirely unserved, like a group of, you know, folks that are having abortions. Um, And I mean, we give them like a phone number to call if there's problems, but there's no one to just like listen to them cry or maybe bring them some ibuprofen or, you know, whatever they might need in the moment. Um, so I'm super, super excited to start doing that. And I also am paired with a, a doula, uh, group that does a wide variety of stuff. It's tender beginnings. Um,
0: yeah, I was looking at that.
1: Mm-hmm. And they brought me on as a, an abortion and pregnancy loss doula so that, you know, if someone has to have a DNC or they choose an abortion for themselves, um, or have a miscarriage or a stillbirth, even like I'm there. And they do a lot of, um, their focus is kind of the queer community. Mm-hmm. So they've got a lot of non, um, like donor loss, like of the other parent and things like that. Cause there's just really dynamic, you know, ways of conceiving and who's going to have what right. and all that. Um, and I don't think that's most people are ready to help <laughs> with that community. Right. So I'm super, super, super glad that they exist, and so privileged to have them. You know, have brought me on.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I know from my my own family, my my wife and her ex. Um, they're a bit older than I am, so they had to do what they had to do to get pregnant um but um yeah if it doesn't work out um it's important to acknowledge all family members um yes i agree right but that's just like something like you're saying that's like something that's like not really acknowledged um in our culture necessarily Mm -hmm. like in the the, you know mainstream culture yeah yeah So, um, what does it look like? I mean, when people would reach out to you for support, what are they kind of expecting? Like with death midwife work, you know, it can be a variety of things, obviously. Um, It might be like home funeral, or, you know, advanced directives, or burials, or Um, but are you kind of like that where you offer multi, um, services or are you focused mostly on like being there with the person? Um, it's
1: so soft around the edges.
0: Okay. (laughs) Uh,
1: it's very, very much like what that individual needs. Right. Um, usually when people actively reach out to me, it's with questions about, you know, their past abortion or past losses. And we have a whole conversation about that. And it's usually, you know, them bringing up things that they've never been able to to talk to anybody about um, in a safe and non-judgmental way. And then a couple of times, you know, people that had reached out about past experiences Well, you know, have a a new experience, um, the, a year or so or more down the road. And then they usually call me. And I mean, I've also been on the phone with a friend that was having a medical abortion at home. You know, she just put me on speakerphone for like six hours. Wow. Yeah. And I just walked around with her in my pocket. And I mean, obviously she only actively engaged me or needed me for 30 minutes, but it's the, just like the knowing that I was there. Mm Mm-hmm was good for her and I mean it felt amazing for me too. I a that's a very, very sacred space to be yeah. led into. Very sacred. So it's a privilege every time.
0: So you're you're kind of like um a companion.
1: Yes, totally. Yeah. Emotional support, a gopher. Um I've done a lot of um pre morning, which has actually been a cool thing um for a friend that had multiple pregnancy losses and she had just gotten pregnant and she was so freaked out you know, that she was going to lose this baby which is a very reasonable concern for her
0: sure. um,
1: and she did and she lost two more and now she's um, getting ready to have her child but I mean it's a lot of losses and the anxiety was killing her <laughs> um, but so we just we leaned into that and we're like you know what let's just say you're going to lose this baby you know let's just accept that right now while you're still pregnant and everything seems okay. We're going to do we did a whole like kind of ritual funeral. We dug a hole. We you know talked about the things that she wanted and hoped for for the baby and she took like um she had like some diapers or something. We buried the diapers and just let her kind of scream at God for a while and I mean obviously it was still unfortunate and sad but she wasn't like carrying that what if and all that anxiety around constantly. Right.
0: Yeah, that's powerful. I mean, I've seen so many people really um, paralyzed by anticipatory grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, we don't always have that um, heads up. But when we have that kind of, you know, PTSD, um, it's really hard to just, you know, navigate. So I can imagine mm-hmm. if you've already had several pregnancy losses, what that must feel like. Yeah.
1: Well, and it's just hard because everyone is all love and light, which is lovely. It's like, oh no, they don't think like that. It'll be different <laughs> this time. I'm sure that won't happen. Like that's not helpful. Karen because as it turns out people do lose their babies all the time so let's go ahead and talk about the thing that I'm actually concerned about and scared about
0: especially if someone's already experienced that um (laughs) I'm not judging
1: everyone has their coping mechanisms Mm -hmm. and the way they deal with things but I'm uh, I'm glad that I can be the person like oh hey everything sucks let's let's lean into that let's talk about that for a while
0: Well, you were telling me earlier, um, you know, that your family has this sort of um, it sounds like, you know, pretty amazing background in history, like with your grandmother um, working in hospice. Um, So was there other parts of your, you know, just in general with your life where you were already kind of gravitating towards working with death or? um,
1: I think... Oh, I did a lot of, I had a lot of loss in general. Um, you know, I was a military brat. And so even just losing like my home, mm-hmm. you know, and my group of friends and community and things like that for, you know, after six months or after a year or whatever it might be. Um, I mean, until college, I'd only lived in one spot for like two years at a time. Um, wow. I just I think that helped me gain I guess a better ability to like grieve hard and fast <laughs> and accept it um and kind of move on mostly um definitely my my grandparents on my dad's side um they're they just always had been very fluent and ready and prepared and sort of shook hands with death. You know, i see you in however long <laughs> sort of people. And then yes, my grandma being a, a, a hospice uh, volunteer and children's oncology, my God. Um, definitely, it was just as normal dinner conversation.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I think that, you know, even if you don't have that kind of foundation um it's it's like you're saying like life was your teacher yeah and um you know you were just kind of learning that you had no choice but to, to grieve and let go um that's interesting about being a military brat moving around a lot my um my spouse and, and her sister also oh, share that. just so oh, lived in the same town for forever and hated it. <laughs> so I don't really know what that's like. you know I would have imagined to have loved to have been able to like you know move around and reinvent myself. but that's,
1: that's exactly what, what it is. It's the reinvention. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. and you
1: know I, I, I wouldn't trade it, but I also wouldn't wish it on anyone else. Um, and my siblings responded very differently, you know, to all that moving than I did. Um, so I think it's, you know, more about the person. Um, but yes, the, when people ask me like, what was that like? I was like, honestly, it's kind of amazing because you get to reinvent yourself.
0: Yeah. Like clean slate
1: every time you move. <laughs> That's, uh, there's a subtext of problematic behavior there. <laughs> but for the most part, it's nice.
0: Yeah. It seems cool, but yeah, like you're saying, you you have to work with attachment so young. Um, yeah. And if you can sort of transmutate um, that pain into something that's your power, which is mm-hmm. what I think you're doing, by the way.
1: No, I agree wholly with that. Yeah. I, and I, I heal myself by, you know, at least some folks keeping them from feeling as lonely as they otherwise might.
0: Do you um, do you find yourself? This is like off topic a little bit, but do you find yourself like feeling antsy to go? You know, keep on the go, or are you like, okay, I already did that. I'm I'm good where I am.
1: Oh, I am. Oh, from like the moving perspective. Mm-hmm. I don't I want to die in this house
0: (laughs) (laughs) I really like talking with you yeah (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna have to cut me out yeah I get that I mean that's a lot of moving it is
1: and I've totally got like I have my friend had a friend that moved around even more than I did and she had a great word for it it was something like you know uh, home trauma or homelessness trauma or moving trauma I don't know but point being like this is my first home that I live in mm-hmm. like a place that I have the intention of staying and I mean i I'm 33 when I got my first home that I felt like I could make mine and this place is so amazing um I've got an acre a private acre in this you know perfect bougie suburb somehow and you know like my son said earlier we we have funerals Viking funerals and cremations and yeah. burials and all sorts of things for all the dead things we find and it's lovely and you know I have enough privacy to not get the cops call on me when I'm doing crazy witch shit <laughs> um, but I never want never want to leave here um, I've actually been working really hard on pre-mourning this house (laughs) oh
0: I know
1: loss of it Mm -hmm. um obviously I hope I never do but it feels like an attachment that I just have to release or the anxiety of losing my house will kill me (laughs) um I got divorced earlier this year and so it was a major point of stress uh, worrying that I would lose the house obviously I'm still here making it happen Right. i um, proud of that, honestly, but God, no, I do not feel antsy to answer your question. <laughs> I want to, I want to, to get some moss on me.
0: <laughs> I, I understand that. Yeah. And there again, like there's those little, um, like changes, those little griefs, those little deaths. And yeah, you're right. You just have to work with I mean I feel that more now so I'm from the east coast and we've only lived out here in California for three years but um, understanding like fire season is very different than understanding like hurricane season Um, and so yeah I I I relate Um, and it's hard not to feel like this is where I want to be indefinitely yeah but um I'm also like more I think I have less um I've had less movement in my life so I'm still kind of open to becoming like an expat or something That's mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I need that experience I think um yeah it's a good one well, what was the best place that you lived your favorite place besides where you are right now growing moss all over you um
1: japan was pretty amazing Wow, i lived in japan for oh gosh actually that was probably the longest maybe three years in japan um and it's just so lush and temperate and it's such a huge shift from western culture um we lived off base my parents were always good about like you know giving us the full immersive thing right yeah uh, and then living in vegas so in vegas for several years vegas was incredible really that's my true. son
0: just moved Where mm-hmm. where's he live i don't actually know he just literally moved like this week he called uh-huh. me he was like mom i'm in i'm living in vegas now nice. like i told you he's 23 okay,
1: so yeah. i'm like <laughs> i'm like dude
0: do it you know what I mean when I was his age I had a baby I had him so you know my choices were very different um, mm-hmm. but I think I think it's cool to um, to add to your your character and your you know your resilience and your experience um, were you a were you by any chance like a teen in Japan or no
1: I was um, first second third grade
0: wow. but
1: I, I have very vivid clear you know informed experiences and memories from from living in japan probably my most vivid i remember japan better than i remember like high school
0: yeah and las vegas must have been pretty wild you know everyone thinks
1: of the strip and all that Mm -hmm, and that's mm -hmm. there but you know if you live there you you live on the, the skirts and you do all of your community stuff on the skirts and the community of people that work the strip and the restaurants and the shows. So you've got an amazingly artistic, right. super international community.
0: Yeah.
1: And there's a ton of culture. Plus you get the red rocks right there. And that's just, I mean, if you want to go find God, go climb in the red rocks.
0: <laughs> I, I, um, I'm i glad he's there. Yeah. He works in um, the restaurant industry so um you know I think it's I think it's a really cool thing to experience especially as a young person um yeah I would
1: love to be there as a single or or, you know not married not with child
0: person that's so interesting I've just I've always had like very um colorful and very fun trips there but it's never been one of the places where I ever saw myself landing Mm -hmm. um but um, I'm actually just like open to most experience, <laughs> yeah. travel experience anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you were you were set free. You're allowed to to be on your own for a while. Yes. By the little <laughs> ones. <laughs> Pretty sure they're asleep. <laughs> oh my god! They were like they're so boring whatever we are not boring you guys are just little and tired (laughs) yeah I'll take whatever I mean if it's boring and that works then go (laughs) I'm kidding I love that um and I don't know if like we'll be able to use that but I love that he told me about the raccoon funeral because that was brilliant um I think you're doing such an amazing job with your kids and I think it's so fascinating unfortunately that so many people think that people who help people with abortions are against children. No, it's actually the antithesis. It's- I know uh, that. Ugh. I'm gonna piss you off.
1: <laughs> it pisses me off, but also it it baffles me too. So it's like, how can you care? Like, stand on a foundation of you know, the sanctity of life and you, this baby might save the world and whatever, you know, horse shit is being spewed. (laughs) Um, And just keep it at such a narrow level. Like, how are you going to just spew these platitudes, but only apply it in these just tiny circumstances? I mean, it's the, 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 problem that everyone always p- points out, you know, if you were really pro-life, you'd, you know, want to pay your taxes so people could get healthcare and blah, 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 but just like to suggest, okay, this is not true for everyone. I want to be super clear, Sure. but in the vast majority of folks that I have worked with, they have made an active parenting choice in most cases an active mothering choice um but you know leaving space for everyone that loses or cho- you know chooses to end a pregnancy it is a purposeful active parenting choice hmm even if they choose not to be a parent to that you know child forever i'm using child because that's
0: just right, where that's my at, yeah
1: yeah obviously i'm you know wherever the person that i am supporting is at, that's where i am also at um but it just is ridiculous to me that people can can suggest that it is anything other than a very thoughtful and loving decision
0: yeah I mean because it is a difficult decision and it's not just yes. that we're just like you know um like we were sharing with it being really lonely and um stigmatized it's um you know yeah very intentional very in many ways painful and um you know I don't I don't feel regret or or shame about having an abortion but um It changed my life. Yes. Changed how I was living at the time, um, which wasn't necessarily the most intentional um, time period of my life. But also, I just want to say that I'm adopted. So a lot of times, like the conversation gets really conflated with like, oh well, aren't you adopted? (laughs) Therefore, that cancels my rights or my, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, that's been thrown at me. Um, before which I think is really interesting um, because right now there's like adoption doulas kind of emerging as well and yeah. acknowledgement of grief and adoption is not like a wow that's everything's great you know mm-hmm. um, no that's actually
1: uh, on my list of trainings
0: to do oh cool yeah I love to talk, circle back to you you know yeah. afterwards and see what that's like because I'm really interested in engaging in like um, conversations where it's, um, you know, just like learning from people who are becoming experts because um, sometimes these conversations can be so painful for people that we kind of get lost in the emotional piece of it. For me, adoption is fine. I'm, I'm not traumatized by my adoption. It wasn't great necessarily, but, um, you know, I mention it because I when like as a teen, I was on a panel a lot in my little rural high school where they were like, "Aren't you adopted?" And I would sit there and like answer questions. And then I remember one person like getting really angry with me and being like, "But you're also pro-choice." And I was like, "And mm-hmm. yes, yes, conflated is the
1: exact right word for that. It's like it's so narrow, it's so closed-minded to think that there's not just a." a the world of information that goes into every choice.
0: Yeah. And also like the pain that people go through and um you know whatever their circumstances are. And you know at that time period like back in the 90s didn't really have people like us out like mm-hmm. you know walking with people who are going through these traumatic events. And if they were doing it, you know, it was really under the radar. I mean, I I know some people who were doing work Mm -hmm. just was really, like, very exclusive. But now it's like we have Instagram accounts and, you know, we're Mm -hmm. putting out podcasts and things. So it's like, hi, this is what I do. Um, I just had Oprah (laughs) They talk about, like, (laughs) horrible situations with real people yes. and would be like changing my life every day at 4 p.m. Um, Eastern time. i how she would feel about that statement. I'm just like, listen, I didn't have like all this death talk, but I had <laughs> I think she probably would feel good about it because mm-hmm. I think she changed a lot of the world by, you know, just being on television and talking about painful shit. Yeah. You know, one of the things I learned to accept at a young age was that, um, if you're going to just like judge people, you know, and not understand what they've been through, Mm -hmm. then you're really limited. And, um, it seems ridiculous that I would have to come through like a talk show, but Mm. I think like that was such a gateway for me. And she was definitely like one of my big heroes, um, to talk about things like sexual trauma and how you don't have the power, you know, from a personal standpoint, and you don't have the power to, you know, make certain choices because, you know, you're marginalized. Mm -hmm. Um, It was like, whoa, wow, that's intense. And um, people don't want to talk about that because it's really ugly. It is
1: ugly, super ugly.
0: But it's such a big, I mean, that's such a big part of life, is that, you know, rape exists, sexual assault in general, whether it's stranger or marital or, um, you know, family. And um, that child to be is not necessarily always meant to be. And so,
1: I I mean, you kind of touched on it. I think it ends up getting bigger than that. Um, I can't remember exactly how you said it. Essentially, like, you can't, you know, judge someone's experience without understanding it, right? Mm-hmm. But then the next level of that is to know that you can never understand it. You just can't like you can listen to them all day long but you're not going to exist inside their flesh and have every single moment of their experience you know inside you and intergenerational trauma you know right right you just it's so arrogant to me to think that someone can suggest you know well maybe they didn't think about it enough or they probably made the right or wrong decision because of this this and this no you can never understand like someone's soul or whatever you might call that you know Mm -hmm. and so you don't get to have any say over the understanding or you know
0: how they got to that decision or whether it has merit right yeah, I I, um, I agree the word there is arrogant and entitled self-righteous and self-righteous <laughs> and it's so interesting because I don't know about in your family or like in your life but a lot of times it runs like parallel with people in my family that are very religious uh, but could give a shit about like actually people who, who really need help with yeah. children houseless folks and, um, you know, people living in like abject poverty. Um, Forget about them and their kids, but let's just focus on like people who, you know, might need an abortion. Um, I hate that kind of hypocrisy so much um, that it actually has created a division between me and a lot of family members. In the sense of like, I just can't have a conversation with them. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. No, that's where I'm at with my dad.
1: And he doesn't even, he's shameless about the fact that he is drinking the Kool-Aid.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: he'll say things like, I don't know. And I don't want to learn. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Like out loud in front of people. I'm just like, but actually this is a very helpful comment. So <laughs> I'm going to disengage forever. <laughs> Wow! Right? Yeah, I don't know, and I don't want to learn. He's the coolest, um,
0: and he's the one with the cool parents who had their headstones pictures yes, yes. on their refrigerator. Yeah, I'm disappointed yeah. in him. He's not. No. He's not following Lee. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting.
1: He is actually quite freaked out by death, much more than anyone else in our family. So. I guess it's just, you know, same environment, but different ability to, you know, synthesize it.
0: How does that work in, um you know, with raising kids and, and not being able to um, meet your dad at, you know, a place that feels good for you, healthy, safe for you? Uh,
1: hard, 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 hard. Yeah. Or boundaries <laughs> um we were I was just kind of trying to get along with him and I thought he could hold his own with just being appropriate you know making decent choices because he's a 60 plus year old man um but he lost it with the kids present once and I'm just like start therapy or don't come back period I love you but start therapy or don't come back
0: <laughs> how long and ago he did he, did.
1: he did i know we were all surprised
0: oh cool yeah. well that's good
1: that's good i mean we're never gonna like end up on the same page but as long as we can be around each other i think that's
0: plenty yeah i mean because you know this is like the tricky time of year we're sliding right into that time of year where it's like togetherness and we can't really hide because of a pandemic necessarily um, <laughs> <laughs> Which is part of the reason why I moved three thousand miles away. Um, I'm like, oh wow, I wish oh, I could come to that dinner, but yeah. shit, I live oh, so far. So funny and true.
1: <laughs> it was the inconvenience. I haven't <laughs> seen my family this year.
0: Are they close? Sorry, are there. they close by? Uh, no, they live in Georgia. Oh, okay, okay. You yeah. got a little bit of like a. You know there could be that um buffer right yeah well I mean and that's the other thing with like you know the pandemic and and isolation and helping people with grief oh Um, man it must be really makes
1: me nauseous to think about uh I had to close up so much when there were people literally just dying alone and family couldn't be with them and they couldn't be with family it I mean Oh, that was really, really hard. And I shouldn't. I'm not even. I mean, I was just passively experience it as you know, as an empath. Yeah, that's still not one I can fully engage because it just overwhelms me.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think like so. Work in the hospital,
1: by the way. When I like in my in my capitalism job, I work in the hospital.
0: Oh, feel like that probably got left out. What, what is your job
1: there? Um, I do cardiac ultrasounds.
0: Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so much compassion, like I shared with you earlier, my wife, nurse practitioner, but hasn't worked in a clinic in, in a few years now, but, um, just so much compassion, um, for our healthcare workers. And again, I, I do, I do get curious about people who, you know, their responses to be afraid. Of dying, but like also then somehow forget that, you know, healthcare workers are trying to actively save lives. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's a real, it's been a really interesting time, especially like I graduated from my program like December 2019. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, I was wow, like, oh here we go. And then it was yes, like, here we oh, was like, here we don't go. <laughs> like, how do I do this? Yeah. Um, so I feel I, I feel for people who um, are you know in need of your services, especially like during the pandemic. like I had friends who had children in hospitals because they had to, not by choice um, because of health reasons. Mm-hmm. One of them had a baby in the NICU um for over a month um, in like a what I would imagine was like like the et version of like oh uh-huh. you know, yeah white panels and stuff horrifying um, but yeah and
1: <laughs> there's another conflated thing, oh God, maybe I should keep this one. To myself. I don't any either side of the line, wherever you fall, like I'm there to I do not judge. Cause like I said, I can never understand, you know, how someone comes to the point of making the decision that they make. Um it is I'm sure you can ask any parent that has had a kid in the NICU, you know, and tubes and wires and it just difficulty and pain all the time for the child, mm-hmm. you know, not just for the yeah. family, but for the child. To think that you can just end the conversation at, well, science has come so far. Well, medicine has come so far. We can do so much, you know, to, to keep those babies alive. Okay. At what cost? You know, that was one of the calculations that I made during mine it was like, cause I was taking a, I got pregnant on birth control. And I was taking a medication that like, you don't get pregnant on (laughs) because that baby is not going to come out. All right. And, you know, I, one, I knew I didn't want it at all in the beginning, just with my impulse. But, you know, we went through all the hoops and eventually we just decided it was not worth the risk to our unborn child, you know, to be born without a, you know, fully formed skull. Mm. or to be born with one eyeball you know like could we risk it you know is the baby like oh god has a purpose i do think that's true but like i'm 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 not gonna put that kid through that kind of suffering if i can help it heck no, no. you know
0: so there's
1: just all sorts of choices and
0: i think that that's a really important part of the discussion mm. though because it is kind of like end of life for, for our elders, you know, that are put on endless amounts of life support. And, um, like you said, to what cost and there is this sort of impulse to keep them alive. Um, or even for some people to just live as long as possible. Um, even if their you know, quality of life is, you know, uh, horrible or non-existent. Yeah. And, um, I hadn't really thought about it that way. Honestly, like um, the very limited experiences I've had, um, you know, wasn't fortunately like a baby that was so um, ill that, you know, they had to make that decision. It was um, just a matter of time to get him, um, you know, healthy. And fortunately is a very healthy child. But I hadn't really thought about, like, there must be immense amount of pressure on people and families to keep that baby alive, no matter what. Um, that's kind of wild. Yeah. Yeah, I think about that
1: a lot. Yeah. A lot. Again, I'm not saying to make one choice or the other. But right, like, right. It has to be very heavy. Um, now, kind of like you talked about with the, you know, the elderly, and I think we're swinging back the other way with, you know, talking about a good death, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I fully believe that abortion upholds the sanctity of life for that reason.
0: Yeah.
1: I you know, love that you're saying of-
0: that. That's so yeah. powerful.
1: Yeah. I, I truly believe that especially the more experience i get with you know families and parents and moms and anyone choosing you know to to not bring another kid into their life for whatever reason it just is more and more obvious that it absolutely upholds the sanctity of life
0: yeah what's scary is that um you know we're in this like maybe calm of the storm or eye of the storm or wherever with the politics and so it feels um I am sure you know especially since this is the work you're doing um like a little bit uncertain a little bit scary I really feel for people who are living in states where you know their accessibility is actually leading to like witch hunt style Um, yeah I mean there's legit you know,
1: sponsored vigilante justice for these bounty hunters for freaking people that have, you know, tattoos on their ankles. <laughs> oh no choice symbols. I mean, I'm on a website saying I'm an abortion doula. Someone from Texas could come up and, you know, lasso me and drag me back for my $10,000 bounty. They better fucking not. I know. I
0: would chew their throat out. It would just happen. (laughs) Covered in blood, have no idea what happened. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, I wish I had known you. You know, my son, my son's uh, father became um, part of a Christian cult when I was uh, about twenty, probably about twenty-three, and that was a surprise. And um, he he was maybe I was a little bit older. I might be like twenty-five. He was like, mommy. Um, and Obama was about to become our president. He was like, Obama is bad because he thinks that women should kill babies inside of them. And I was like, are you talking? And this is a, with my very conservative mother's house, who's a lot less conservative than she was then. But we're having lunch. And I'm like, are you talking about abortion? And, you know, everyone's like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, right. oh, He's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, do you know what that is? Do you know? And he's like, yeah, it's when you kill babies. And I'm like, who told you that? And he's like, my dad and my stepmom I believe their names out right. mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, I get, you know, it sounds like they need some help, like learning some stuff. I'm like, why? Uh, I'm like, first of all, I don't think Obama necessarily has the strongest pro choice opinion. Maybe Michelle. would be an excellent president by the way um and i really liked him i liked that he was like a little bit you know open-minded about these things but i didn't think he was like
1: yeah abortion yeah no one is willing you know not in politics anyways come out to say you're just straight up be pro-abortion right i'm pro-abortion but i'm not gonna run for office
0: (laughs) (laughs) and that's a fucking shame but i was right thank you yeah Uh, my
1: energy is better elsewhere
0: <laughs> I know like because you're not really able to probably be who you'd really like to be in order to play the game that is politics
1: my, my friend is like, running
0: for city council right now and
1: I'm just like god bless you but I would have just told these people to fuck off
0: <laughs> yeah so I had a friend who did that last year here in in uh, south southern California uh similar And she's a nurse, and brilliant, um, and very pro-choice, very, you know, progressive thinking mom. And yeah, it's like, yeah, it's ugly. But with my child, I was like, listen, dude, we can have this conversation if you want to. And he was like, well, I just feel really sorry for people because, you know, they're going to go to hell because they're bad. And I'm like, well, I just want you to know something. By the way, I had an abortion. (laughs) Yeah. And you're really too little, maybe because of the circumstances to like really get into that nitty gritty of what that means. Cause he was also, you know, being raised by very brainwashing parents. But I'm like, do you think I'm bad? Do you think I'm going to hell? He's like, no. And I'm like, okay. So from now on, you got a question. Like when somebody tells you something, Mm -hmm. is it true and you know can I look around and see that the people that you're condemning are they really bad people I mean he was pretty freaked out and I got an earful of course for even having the conversation but I was like what the fuck ever you're not going to tell my kid you know that Obama and abortions are evil I'm just not having it um yeah I'm like you know lesbian witch heretic mother so be it but I love that you're able to talk about you know everything with your kids they seem so awesome you know because of that um and just the little glimpses that I got I just think like it's it's not a dirty word it's not you know a horrible thing and um I'm hopeful for humanity, but at the same time, it's like we just have to keep like moving. Yeah, right? can't wait for things to change. There
1: actually recently, um, I had aspirations to do this, but I'm glad someone else got to it before I did because who knows when I would have done it. Um, a children's book now explaining abortion.
0: What's that called? Do you know? Uh,
1: you know, I. It's, that's okay. I know. It's I, I'm there. gonna totally find it.
0: Okay. Uh, cool. cool. I love that.
1: It's something like, "What is an abortion anyway?" Right. <laughs> you know, something really obvious. Right. Um, and I'm just. That's so needed. So yeah. needed. I think that starting that converse, this kind of conversations young and matter of fact is. Yeah perfect. I mean, my kids can tell when I don't feel good or if I have a doctor's appointment and I always tell them, oh, i you know, getting my, you know, cervix checked today or I'm just getting blood work. They come and get watch me get my blood work done every time. I just try to normalize as much as I can because <laughs> they're going to be weirdos. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, well, it also kind of like, you know, takes away that fear of you know, the unknown and what's happening. And um, so many people are so afraid of talking about bodies and death and sickness and illness. It's just like, I think it's really cool that you're you're not. And that's, you know, that's huge. Cause Thank you. Absolutely. Um, they're going to need it you know, mm-hmm. in order to to do amazing things. Otherwise, like, you know, you get kind of older and then you realize, like, oh my god, I have all of these fears. I mean, it took me this long to just deal with, like, oh, I better lean into my fears
1: so I can help other people. Let me tell you about leaning into fears. My daughter, my seven-year-old Lenore, she, she gets right down to it. She asked me the other day, I look in the back seat, and she's Crying, and I'm like, honey, what's going on? Blah, blah blah. Is it this? Is it that? And she says, No, mom, I'm scared. What are you scared about? I'm scared about what's going to happen if the earth gets too sick. I was like, Shh, Yeah, <laughs> I am also scared, but I try not to think about it, and I certainly don't have answers for you because it's awful and it makes me hopeless.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but.
1: She kind of pushed me there and it was awful, but nice. Um, definitely a conversation that I have been actively trying to ignore, you know, what happens, what should we be scared of if the earth gets too sick?
0: Um, so, yeah. yeah, I know that's, that's a big one. That's, that's really, um, you know, it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. She's just a little kid. And uh, you know, she should be able to just play and not think about these things, but also, you know, good for her because she's obviously a critical thinker. Um
1: <laughs> she's yeah. lovely. She's she's a oh my god, she's such an empath. She's gonna do
0: something. I'm sure. Yeah, with a mind like that, like the mm-hmm. the thoughtfulness and the curiosity, um, and being afraid is okay.
1: Yeah, I told her too. It's like I'm afraid, I'm totally afraid.
0: Because I think that's courageous to to say I'm scared. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's the not wanting to admit it or the not wanting to look at it that ends up like, you know, making us shut down or. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm with her. I'm worried about it too. <laughs> I wish I had a better answer for that, but we know that that's, we don't, we, well, we don't know. Yeah. Just try I try to s- empower
1: her. That's the best that I've come up with now. And then secretly in my head, I hope that I die before I have to see this shit go down.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> I know. Sorry, kids. I'm know. out. <laughs> no, I'm the same way. I'm like, you know, when we're talking about like in our partnership or when we've talked about it with our children, I'm like, well, my plan is to go first and then, you know. Yep. Yeah. Good luck, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm um, peaceful with it. My
1: mom, granted, she my parents did their will recently, and my dad chose like my sister or something, and my mom. Like, I was last on his list. And then I was first on my mom's list for, like, you know, plug-pulling, DNR, decision-making.
0: Hell, yeah. I know. Your mom's smart. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? Right.
1: Um, um, like I said, they just have different views on, you know, what a good death would look like. Um, and that's fine. Um, but now I completely forgot where I was going with this.
0: Well, I think we were just talking about... Um, like going first in our families oh yes these kind of conversations make
1: my mom very uncomfortable I got on a tangent easy there um, she's like Ma Sarah don't say that I. there's no better forum for this I don't get to say this very often um, so I, I mentioned that I was uh, suicidal after <laughs> my abortion um, and this is terrible, but also I think it speaks to like where I am with my acceptance Mm -hmm. and fearing that the earth is going to get too sick and having two children who are also very aware of that. Mm -hmm. I often say to my poor mother, my only regret in life is that I didn't kill myself in 2010 (laughs) (laughs) before I had any kids. (laughs) I get that. I think it's hilarious yeah like i don't actually it's right. just
0: romanticizing it and but. because it's huge yeah to have small children in today and um it's also you know we worry about our grown children and what you know the world will look like in years to come and i i totally get that and i do think <laughs> that this is the right space for that because i think um you know again like many things like abortion etc suicide is not a dirty word even though there are many ways of saying it that make people mm-hmm. feel comfortable I yeah. think it's just something that you know the more we talk about the more we acknowledge the less painful it is and mm-hmm. it's like oh yeah I felt that way yeah we're yes. like I didn't even I- felt that way
1: I don't want anyone to have to be forced in, like, be stuck choosing suicide, but I do think that being able to be in control of the end of your own life is valid. Oh, yeah. And if someone's at that point, I just don't want them to have to spend those moments alone. You know? Like, if they yeah. choose solitude for themselves, spectacular. I... I would much... I mean, I just wouldn't... I'd want someone to, to know that they were at least supported in their choice if, if they were making it, you know, from a place where they weren't stuck, if that makes right. sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Completely. Actually, you know, actually, how I ended up as a de- death midwife was because I was a widow at first. And that's like a whole big story. But um, you got a lot going on there. I know. I've crammed a lot of life into this person. Um, but it, it, was because I was with someone who took their own life. and actually, what I found really interesting about myself in the in the whole experience of of understanding their process was that I wasn't judgmental. I didn't necessarily agree with them, but I understood that, you know, their feelings were real, their experience was real. They were in a sick body because of addiction. And I don't know what that's like. And I think addiction because of shame and, um, you know, guilt, um, and dependency, we're just not ready to like acknowledge those things yet necessarily, but the sooner we do the better.
1: Yeah. No, I, uh, that is such a rare space to come from. And I, I see this in healthcare a lot. there is still so much judgment and so much ignorance surrounding it and you know you hear people say like oh i can't believe that these people would do this just for a fix you know and now they're in the hospitals like that's not how addiction works like it's not that they are choosing that and risking all these things just to get high it is that their addiction is so all-consuming that they are compelled to risk everything because of the addiction it's not just like a fucking oh my gosh we're (laughs) growing as a society i hope so one conversation yes i try to make gentle comments when things like that come up
0: yeah offer
1: to switch the The perspective.
0: (laughs) Same. I mean, that's why I bring it up because it is something that people, yeah, quickly judge. And um I think coping is something that's missing in that that stories, you know. Um, and maybe there should be a children's book about addiction. Like it's not an A B, A to B, you know, Mm -hmm. road. It's a very, you know, it's a circular path Mm -hmm. and um I'm glad that, you know, you're in an environment where you can help shift that if, if at all, you know, um, when that comes up, because I think that that's what we need. We need to start mm-hmm. looking at these, these topics with more compassion and less judgment, yes. um, and stop thinking of them as like, you know, good or bad just says, this is what, this is what we have. Yeah. Um, this is where we're at. But I'm definitely gonna circle back after you get your um, your next piece. So, you know, cause you're gonna, you're gonna did you say we're gonna look into adoption doula? Yes. Yeah. yeah, adoption, you, you step for adoption that. loss, yeah. Um, but I want to close out our conversation so you can get some rest. Cause now I see that it's like almost nine. Um, thank you so much. I love thank talking with you. It was amazing. I have one last question from you from my little box um, that helps me say goodbye because I have a really hard time doing that which is I fun. think that's super smart. I like it. <laughs> Thank you. When was the last time you cried? It's it's a random card so if you hate it I can always pick another yeah. random card. No, um, I'm cool with that. I
1: like to say that I am leaky or porous. <laughs> I cry <laughs> very easily uh, and actually it was um, around eleven thirty today. today my mom and I were having a conversation about Thanksgiving coming up and my dad and whether or not that was going to be like something that everyone was cool with him being around and we we're all hopeful that he will be there um, but I made well I made her but my mom ended up crying about it because it's a complicated thing and so yes. I had a couple little little tears about it um, my last like scream at god cry it's been a minute probably since the spring like real live lay in the dirt and just wail it out
0: i like that are you all Are you all celebrating um, this weekend, the, the Halloween? You've got some trick-or-treaters happening? Yes. Okay. Yes. What are um, your my daughter's
1: going to be a manatee. Oh, my God. I love that. <laughs>
0: so <That's> charming. <laughs> charming. It's so
1: charming. <laughs> oh,
0: my God. If you feel like sending me a picture privately, I would love to see that costume. Because that's, yeah. that's spectacular. Yeah, okay. it is. I, I've
1: never been more...
0: Yeah. That's adorable. I just think it is.
1: It is. Uh, mm-hmm. Ozzy is going to be a skeleton. Oh, yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm obsessed. Obsessed. With yeah. I don't know oh. what I'm going to do yet. I'll find a wig. And yeah. I've got some, some big wings that I made last uh, a couple years ago that are always just like, ah, put some wings on.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's so, like definitely my favorite holiday, always because um, it's you know deathy but um, I'm making my wife dress up she's going to be Sweeney Todd and I'm going to be Cruella oh um, nice because you know the, the wigs for that were just too amazing yeah um, uh, well I hope you guys have a great holiday and um, I look forward to talking to you some more some other time yeah. it would be amazing so I'm going to end our recording so you can say bye to everybody and then I'll say bye to you myself. Bye. bye. Well, everybody, I hope that this conversation inspired you as much as it did me, and I think it's fair to say that there's so much more work to be done around this conversation. So, If you feel like this is a calling for you, definitely look into your local Planned Parenthood or even reach out to Sarah at pre-Morning Dove on Instagram. And if for some reason you're having a hard time connecting with her, just let me know and I'll be happy to connect you. Because I think that that's what these stories ultimately can do is help us understand each other and create more compassion and empathy and less division hopefully so thank you so much for sharing these conversations with your family and your friends and writing me and letting me know it really means a lot and if you have a story you'd like to share if it's about being queer and fabulous or being a death worker and fabulous or grief and art um, please reach out to me at queer death stories or strange moon podcast on instagram send me a little private message and hey Let's be friends. It's a new year, right? My next guest is um fascinating mixture of different interests. Her name is Madame Blue, also known as Naja. lives in her hometown of Mexico City, is an artist manager and reached out to me because she said death has been a friend of hers for her whole life, which I, of course, immediately related to and and want to talk to her about that Um, I think part of the reason why she felt the need to start talking about it more openly and candidly is because her father took his own life a few years ago and so like a lot of these other conversations there's so many different aspects around death and dying and grief culture but What's fascinating to me is how we can take these experiences and and share our stories in order to heal ourselves and also educate each other. And I just love Mexican culture. I would love to spend more time there because, like I said in the conversation, um, just being able to see how death and life are just integrated so beautifully in art, archaeology and history and just every part of it um it's fabulous and we have a lot we could learn from our mexican neighbors so i look forward to sharing that conversation with you soon and meanwhile um please check out the playlist I make for my guests on Spotify as a way of saying thank you for telling me your story. So much fun. And I hope that you are taking good care out there. I mean that. I know that these are uncertain and difficult times for many of us. So with that in mind, just sending you a lot of love and I look forward to hearing from you. Okay, till next time. Bye.